now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Turner hits a drive, deep left center field, and the Phillies strike first again. Trey Turner, a solo shot. And he sends Allen to right, hit deep. Carroll turns, and it's gone. A line drive home run. Kyle Schwarber is second in his many games. Two to nothing, Phillies. Schwarber, a high drive into right center. He's watching. It's flying. Goodbye. Schwarber strikes again. Three to nothing, Phillies. Three, two again. And a cold strike three, and that's the ball game. And the Philadelphia Phillies, dominant in this postseason. And they take a two games to none lead in this best of seven in LCS. And a 10-0 win in game two. To the bottom of the screen. Backpedaling, McCord lofting for the end zone. Caught, that's a touchdown. Martin Harrison, Jr. This time in the shotgun. Play fake. To the end zone, touchdown, Penn State, Khalil Dinkins. Third and nine at the 46. Hurts facing a four-man rush over the middle. It's intercepted. Picked off by Tony Adams. Adams on the run. Breaking tackles. Tossed down inside the 10. Well, we know Debo Samuel is out of this game. I'll tell you who else has been over on the sidelines trying to loosen up. Christian McCaffrey, he's doing everything we can. See him stretching out here. We can't tell if it's his lower back or his ribs over on that right side. See McCaffrey back on the field. McCaffrey's back and he gets it. That wrap on that oblique. And he makes a good cut penalty, though. And this may be a hold and coming on back. The count is one and two, and here's the pitch, and a check swing, and the pitch hit him, but he swung at the pitch, I believe, in which case he would be out. John Tumpain ruling that he swung, so, and that is a strikeout for Max Scherzer. It's his second of the night. Great job by Josh Spores, a one, two, three, seventh, and now Alvarez hits one a mile. Straight away right, that's out of here, a line drive home run, and this is a one-run game. His second home run of the night is sixth of the postseason. Arizona 4-2. Seawall delivers. Line drives short left, but there to make the play. Lourdes Fury out. And the Arizona Diamondbacks pull off the most improbable three-game sweep. An upset of the Dodgers. They win tonight 4-2. Diamondbacks come up with three consecutive victories. They go on to the National League Championship Series, and the Dodgers go home with nothing. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Wednesday, October 18th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis in today's Sports Zone. Right here on KDUSAM 1060 and Castlux HD 2 100.7, the Diamondbacks. Will they be swept by the Phillies? Ohio State, Penn State, who wins Saturday in Columbus. The Eagles are 49ers. 
which team should be most concerned at this point. Astros Rangers, who wins tonight in Arlington? The Dodgers, should Dave Roberts return in 2023? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's scheduled lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9.15, we'll have an Ohio State-Penn State preview with uh, Ryan Callahan Cooney from uh, Happy Valley Insider. 9.30 or so, it'll be interactive action at 602-260-1060 and also the local roundup. That will include uh, more on the Game 2 Diamondbacks and Phillies analysis. Final segment of the Sports Zone will be the National Roundup. That will be topped by Rip from the headlines and from the wire. Then after the Sports Zone, from 10 to noon, of course, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. That will include more phone call time, among many fun things. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we begin with a KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, will the Diamondbacks be swept by the Phillies? And Kayla is here, and she has the early returns. That I do. And over at KDUS1060.com, we have, if this thing will load fast enough for me, it's deciding to take a really long time here on this Wednesday hump day. No, 67% of the vote, yes, trailing at 33%. The first two games in Philadelphia, I dare say, have resembled the varsity versus the JVs, including the Diamondbacks being shut shut out on Tuesday for the first time in their postseason history that has covered 47 games. First time they've never scored a run. Today's Twitter poll question, who wins Saturday afternoon in Columbus, Ohio State or Penn State? Kayla, what's going on here? Penn State leading the way at 54.5% of the vote, Ohio State 45.5%. This is over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. The Buckeyes are four-point favorites against Penn State. Penn State has just one win in this series since 2016, and Penn State has now won in Columbus since 2011. Meanwhile, Spain, the Globe, zero. That is the number of unbeaten teams in the NFL after the Eagles and 49ers lost games and keep players to injury on Sunday. Which team are you more, uh, most concerned about, uh, the 49ers or the Eagles? Max Scherzer expected to start tonight. He has not pitched since August the 12th because of a pitching shoulder injury. Who wins tonight in Arlington, Astros or Rangers? By the way, the Rangers are roughly a 130 favorite in that game this evening. The Dodgers are staying with Dave Roberts. There was the annual Fire Roberts talk last week, but I think that thought has less legitimacy after being swept by the Diamondbacks because, as opposed to other years, the Dodgers lineup is far more shorthanded than we've seen before. They had some loaded lineups that lost in past years. This was not the case this year, and obviously the pitching staff decimated by injuries. Should Dave Roberts be returning for at least one more season with the Dodgers? They announced yesterday that he will be back. Officially, they announced. I think they kind of unofficially announced that like the second the game was over last week, but they uh, officially announced it yesterday. Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? That's Pipeline for today. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more in today's sensational radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion categories, whether it is from the Pipeline 
or sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or uh, twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. All right, coming up next, we'll have a news update with Corey. That'll be followed by uh, a preview of Penn State and Ohio State in Columbus, high noon in Columbus on Saturday. Uh, Dylan uh, Callahan Cooney scheduled to join us from the Happy Valley Insider. Also, once again, at the bottom of the hour, to be a phone call time. General discussion, 602-260-1060. Also, at the bottom of the hour, the local roundup. That'll be topped by... Uh, some uh, Diamondbacks Phillies game two analysis and actually kind of a collective game one and game two analysis in some cases. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me the Doug Gottlieb show 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back to the sports zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7 your home the Dan Patrick show live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. Penn State and Ohio State Meet this Saturday in the uh, biggest college football game thus far this season. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone, sports zone, he tried to say, by Dylan Callahan Crowley uh, from a Happy Valley Insider. And uh, Dylan, good to have you on the show. Let's start with uh, Penn State, of course, has lost its last season against Ohio State. But this season, not exactly the most demanding schedule. So how good's Penn State and how difficult is that really to assess because of the schedule to this point? Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob. And, uh, yeah, this Penn State team honestly hasn't had the most uh, challenging schedule here through the first few weeks of the season. West Virginia was their uh, maybe toughest opponent yet. Obviously, they uh, fell this past week to Houston on that late Hail Mary, and then they had that Iowa team. Uh, but let's be honest, that Iowa offense isn't uh, very good on. The Nimi Lions just are a much better team than the Hawkeyes, so that really wasn't a challenge either. You, you look at the rest of the schedule, Delaware, Illinois, uh, Northwestern, and UMass. Penn State, uh, no disrespect to Northwestern or UMass, has essentially had three weeks here of, of preparation for the Buckeyes this weekend, which does make it difficult to really assess how good this Penn State team is. I think the Nittany Lions are obviously a great team, but this weekend will determine if this team is just a great team or is this team an elite team that has a realistic shot at the college football playoffs and being uh, even a potential national championship contender. Uh, I do think the defense is an elite defense, but again, this will be the Nittany Lions' really biggest test off, uh, biggest test defensively uh, since this season opener against West Virginia. And, um, yeah, in that aspect, it's very hard to judge where this Penn State team is and into Week 8 overall. 
Are they are they just a great team or are they elite an elite team? Okay, so let's uh, yeah. Certainly, historically, they got some things working against them. You're aware of this, but uh, for the masses out there, 14 straight losses on the road against top five opponents, and these zero wins under James Franklin in that time. One and eight against Ohio State with Franklin. And how much is history? Uh, how much of that history is they just haven't been good enough, and how much of it has become maybe a mental hurdle? Yeah, I think that's a really good point there with the mental hurdle possibility because I, to a degree I do think it is that you look at Penn State versus Ohio State over the last seven or so years, even beyond that in the last maybe even decade, these are two teams that historically played very, very close games with each other. I think there's only really in the last decade been one true blowout. Now there have been some games where it's been close. Ohio State ends up getting a touchdown or two late that really separates the two. But I do think there has been a mental hurdle over Penn State against the Buckeyes. But I also think it's been a degree to a degree that Penn State um, has just not been a very polished team as Ohio State has been over the last few years as well. Penn State often plays Ohio State very, very tough for three quarters, but it is the fourth quarter that's ultimately different. It's where, you know, championship teams are kind of decided, are decided. Uh, Penn State in those fourth quarters has often been mistake-prone. Ohio State being a Big Ten contender year in and year out, being a college football playoff contender year in, year in and year out, has been used to those high-leverage, high-pressure moments. And that's really what has separated the two sides. I mean, look back to last year and Happy Valley, Penn State and Ohio State were – Penn State had the lead, I should say, uh, with nine minutes to go. And then Ohio State scored uh, at least 17 points in the last nine minutes to completely flip the game on its head, including a late defensive touchdown uh, that gave Ohio State uh, the win of that game. And uh, it, it's been, it's become a huge talking point in in Happy Valley and around the Penn State uh, program in terms of the fan base that you know James Franklin and the Ninja Lions have been a great football team for the most part over the last uh, 10 years or so but they had not been able to make that jump to an elite team, and a big part of that is not being able to beat Ohio State and having some struggles against Michigan as well. Um, so I definitely think there is a mental hurdle aspect of that. It's a bit of, you know, we, we've played these guys so well, what do we have to do to actually beat them? Uh, because we keep falling, coming up short now. I do think this is Penn State's potential best chance to beat Ohio State over the last few years uh, on paper. Okay, so Dylan, let's get into Drew Aller, uh, who yep. you know hasn't thrown an interception so far this season. What's actually, other than I'm sure the interception you know, situation, what's impressing the most about him this season? Yeah, I, I think what is most impressive about Drew is his composure and just he doesn't get rattled. Now he hasn't had many, you know, games this year in which he's had to face long struggles. He's had. You know, two, three drives in which Penn State's offense may have uh, not had success. But for the most part, they've had success in driving down the field, having long drives that eat up the clock. They, they have shown the ability to go 60, 70, 80 yards on a routine basis. You look at their offense, they haven't been very explosive. Actually, one of the least explosive offenses in all of college football, uh, bottom 10 in the country in that aspect. But with Drew, his composure. Um, is, is is extraordinary.
extraordinary for a first-year starting quarterback. Uh, he gives what the offense, sorry, what the defense gives him. He's not going to force uh, any ball down the field that he doesn't feel he needs to. He doesn't take many risks when he's under pressure. He's been fantastic this year, uh, near a 50% completion percentage, which you know, even an elite number, but is a very good number, say at least for a first-year starting quarterback. And I think his composure and poise in the pocket goes a lot back to what we saw last year. I mean. His very first game last season uh, was in Penn State season opener against Purdue, and at the time it was a very tight game for Penn State. He had to take over the offense coming out of halftime, and Sean Clifford uh, needed to get some work done quickly. Uh, and while Penn State didn't score on that drive, Howler uh, uh, made quite a few impressive throws on that drive, and it kind of was a strong starting point for him, and he just kept on building on it throughout last year and has done so this year. Um, but it's definitely that composure, that poise he has in the pocket. He looks like a multi-year starter out there, not a guy who's um, making, you know, just going to be making a seventh start uh, of his career this weekend. But he started just two road games uh, at yeah. Illinois and at Northwestern. So Saturday is going to be, without question, the loudest environment that he's faced on the road. I think he's ready for that. Yeah, I mean, and to add on to, to, to that road environment, is it's a homecoming game for him. He is an Ohio kid yeah. uh, that Ohio State uh, was trying to uh, flip from Penn State late in his recruitment. He ultimately, you know, stayed committed to um, Penn State. But, yeah, it, it's going to be a big test for him uh, on Saturday with this road environment. You, you mentioned those two road starts, Illinois and Northwestern. Uh, the Illinois crowd was a solid crowd, but that Northwestern, you know, atmosphere is is one of the worst, probably in all of Power <laughs> Five football. Uh, if, yeah. if, if we're being honest about everything, um, but yeah, it, I'm going to be very intrigued to see how he, you know, faces this type of atmosphere. Because yes, Penn State has great as, atmospheres, but of course, that's at home when the offense is on the field. Everybody knows to be quiet. He's, that's not going to he's not going to have that advantage on Saturday in Columbus. And even further than that, how is he going to react when Penn State does maybe get punched in the face from a Ohio State defense? How is he going to react if he does throw that first interception or has a, you know, he fumbles the ball? He hasn't had to face that type of adversity yet in his career. You know, doing that, coming back from that type of adversity at home is one thing. To do it in a, you know, ruckus, intimidating environment like the horseshoe in a game between two top five teams with, college football playoff aspirations, national championship aspirations, that's a lot of pressure, uh, you know, on top of that homecoming game as well. So yeah, I'm going to be very intrigued to see how he's going to handle that. I think he's the type of quarterback that can handle that type of pressure. James Franklin has talked about his poise, how he prepares for games uh, since his freshman year. Uh, he talks about it very often, and I think it's going to pay off for him this week, but it's one of those things you really don't know how he's going to react until uh, that clock starts on Saturday afternoon in Columbus. Okay, you mentioned the explosive play thing. Yeah, they have an experienced offensive line. They got two stud running backs. I know that Franklin. I watch the Big Ten press conferences every Tuesday. Uh, he's asked about this every week. What's up with this lack of explosive plays, especially running plays? Yeah, the, the running plays is where I probably the most surprised with this year because Nicholas Singleton 
positive. A lot of people remember what he did last year, even in the Rose Bowl where he broke off an 80-yard touchdown against Utah. Uh, I'd say for sure that has just not, not been there. The offensive line has been solid. I mean, it's one of the top 20 offensive lines. It's uh, in the running for the Joe Moore Award this season, given to the country's best offensive line. But the explosive plays on the ground haven't been there. I do think to a degree that is from the running, due to the running back's uh, decision-making. Uh, Nicholas Singleton this year uh, has not been, I think, as confident as a ball carrier as he was last year. I also think that uh, he perhaps Penn State's running backs, when they have the opportunity to run through somebody or try to run around somebody, are choosing to run through them more than not, which, uh, you know, yes, they have shown the ability to run through those guys in the past, but uh, with the type of speed that Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton have, you'd think that trying to get around that would be the better uh, potential route to the end zone. But I think maybe the underrated aspect of Penn State's run game this year is in the outside row, on the outside runs, they haven't had the same blocking as they, as they had last year from their tight ends and wide receiver mm. position. Yeah. They lost Brennan Strange to the NFL. He's with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. They also lost Parker Washington also with the Jaguars. Those two guys were uh, two of Penn State's better run blockers who weren't a part of the offensive line last season. And without them this year, just not been the same level of success to the outside. Uh, the offensive line has been getting good push. They've had some success up the middle, but whether it's Ohio State or Illinois, running up the middle against a Power 5 defense is, is is tough, and it's been a tough zone at times for Penn State's offense, but uh, you know the magic number for Penn State or for any offense on the run game is three and a half yards. You know, three you run the ball three times, three and a half yards, you're going to get a first down. Um, and that's you know easy set, easier said than done. You can do that against these lower, uh, lesser talented teams that Penn State's faced this year. But that's not going to be a way to have success against a much more uh, talented Ohio State defense uh, compared to what they faced this year. They had some success against Iowa, but this Buckeyes team I think is a little bit more athletic and bigger than that Hawkeyes defense. So it's going to be very intriguing to see how the mini line rushing attack goes up against the Ohio State defense this Saturday. Penn State's defense has been dominant. Is this the best defense of the Franklin era? Yeah, uh, without a doubt in my opinion. Uh, I'm not sure there's a true weakness on this Penn State defense. Uh, on the defensive line, uh, the defensive tackle position was probably the biggest question mark for the mini lines coming into the season. Uh, but it, so far, so good there. Uh, they've had a couple guys like Nate Durant, a true sophomore who played a lot as a true freshman, step up. I uh, have a couple of guys, Hakeem Beam and Devon Alleys, uh, who have had really good seasons. Okay, we'll try to re-hook up with Dylan, uh, becoming our daily problem here during this segment for whatever reason. Happened, uh, you know, yesterday and again today, and it's been going on for about three weeks in this segment with our phone line situation. So we'll try to get that rectified. So I'll uh, try to catch up with Dylan again. A couple other things we'll get to eventually here in uh, the Ohio State uh, Michigan, uh, the Ohio State uh, Penn State matchup 
Got Michigan on the brain. Always have the Michigan on the brain. Uh, all right, Dylan, good to have you back. Our problem there. Yep. Sorry about that. Uh, we're no talking problem. about the defense a little bit. I'm talking about the defense a little bit. Let me let me add one more quick thing here about the yep. defense. Ask one more thing. Uh, Manny Diaz, uh, his second year as the defensive coordinator. What specifically is uh, he brought to improve this defense? Sure. Uh, going back to quickly what I was saying with the defense, uh, the defensive end, Penn State has four or six guys there, four to five guys, I'd say, that they feel confident get after the quarterback any given uh, pass rush. The linebackers are fast and athletic, and that secondary is, I think, one of the best, if not the best secondary in the country, have uh, two uh, legitimate NFL talents in Kalen King and Johnny Dixon. King, a likely first-round draft pick this uh, upcoming spring. Uh, now, what Manny Diaz has brought to this Penn State uh, defense is, I, I think, to a degree, um, swagger. Uh, Brent Pry had some great defenses under. Uh, sorry, had, Penn State had some great defenses under Brent Pry during his time in Happy Valley. Um, but I, I don't remember a Penn State defense that has carried themselves the way that they have over the last two years under Manny Diaz. But I also think Manny Diaz's view of trying to create as much chaos as possible is a big difference as well. Under Brent Pry, Penn State was an aggressive defense, but Manny Diaz takes aggressiveness to a whole different level. He is constantly trying to get opposing offenses into third and long situations in which then he can allow his dominant defensive line with the Navy Lions just to tee off against offensive line. And like I said, Penn State has four or five guys that they feel confident depth quarterback, so it's not just the first-string guys, uh, such as Chop Robinson, another guy who's potentially going to the first round this spring, but they also have guys like Adisa Isaac, Deny Dennis Sutton, and uh, Zariah Fisher, among others, that they feel confident to get to the quarterback. Um, but, yeah, Manny Diaz has been uh, a huge, huge pickup for the Indian Lions over the last two years. There was a lot of question marks of what Penn State would do after Brent Pry left for Virginia Tech. And James Franklin, uh, one day after Manny Diaz got fired at Miami, called up Diaz and, and asked if he wanted to come up to Happy Valley. And the two sides eventually got a deal done. And uh, I, I think it's taken this Penn State program to a whole different level as well. Uh, like I said, they had good defenses under Brent Pry, but how Penn State's built their defense under Pry and now Diaz and how Diaz is utilizing that talent um, makes this Nitty Lions defense just absolutely one of the best defenses that they've had under James Franklin, but also I think one of the best defenses they've had in the last 20, 30 years, including some of those very strong Joe Paterno defenses as well. Uh, it, I, I think it's one of the best defenses in the country uh, heading into this week and uh, going to be one of the best defenses in the country the rest of the season. Okay, so what are a couple of the keys, whether it be either side of the ball here in this game on Saturday? Yeah, I think, I think I'll think i start with the defense side of the ball. Just talk about it. I think the big key for Penn State's defense is going to begin pressure on Kyle McCord. You look at the numbers, numbers McCord has struggled under pressure quite a bit this season. Of course, that's where Penn State has, you know, been very good this year. They're second in the country in sacks with, I believe, 27 on the year. Uh, but also, you got a quarterback under pressure. What are they more like, most likely to do? Create bad, attempt bad throws, and that's where Penn State secondary comes into hand. Can this Penn State secondary 
uh, like I said, one that I believe is the best secondary in the country, uh, ha- has been tremendous in coverage this year. Tight coverage and man coverage and zone coverage, they get to the receiver fast. Uh, they are great at breaking up balls, but they also can bring down their fair share of interceptions. I mentioned Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, but they also have guys such as Cam Miller and uh, slot corner uh, Daquan Hardy, who are also very good in their safety room, despite losing over the last two years. Guys like Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker continues just to breed uh, tremendous safeties, and they're going to have a few other guys in that safety room that go on to have uh, quality NFL careers in the future. Uh, so that, on, on defense, I think it's about just getting pressure on uh, Kyle McCord. Obviously, you look at that Ohio State wide receiver room, Marvin Harrison Jr., the best wide receiver in the country. You can't stop him completely, but you can slow him down. Now, Penn State's not a defense that's going to match up Kalen King directly on Harrison Jr. the entire game, but I think they're confident in what King and Dixon can do against Harrison. But then after Harrison, you obviously have uh, Amika Ibuka and Julian Fleming, both very quality wide receivers as well. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I think Penn State's going to have to do really what they've done a lot this season and dominate the time of possession. They're going to have to, you know, have their best run day of the year on the ground. Uh, the offensive line is going to have to definitely have their best run blocking day, getting a lot of push up front on uh, against Ohio State's defensive line. I, I think they're going to have to be explosive in the past game. They haven't taken a ton of deep shots this year, just, I think, 14 or 15 attempts on the season. I think we're going to have to see them take three, four deep shots and be successful on them to win this game against Ohio State because Ohio State is going to be explosive. And I think the biggest question about this Penn State offense is, you know, late in the fourth quarter, if Ohio State goes, gets a touchdown late, uh, does Penn State have the offense to score in a two, three-minute drive against a Buckeyes defense that is a very good defense, maybe not as athletic and as explosive as Penn State's defense, but it's a very fundamentally sound defense that's going to give Drew Alar some interesting looks that he maybe hasn't seen this year as well. Uh, so I, I think offensively it's going to come down to Penn State, you know, they don't have to dominate on the ground, but they have to establish some sort of respectable run game in this one, and they're going to have to be explosive through the air and I do think something that we haven't talked about, but is worth noting is uh, last week against uh, UMass, they got wide receiver Harrison Wallace, the third back, which uh, has, when he's on the field, has opened up Penn State's passing game a little bit more, allowing uh, their strong room of tight ends uh, to be a bigger part of the passing game, as well as allowing uh, number one wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith to be a little bit more explosive as well. Okay, only got about 20 seconds here. My bad on the time management here, but who wins on Saturday? Yep, uh, uh, give me give me Penn State here to win this one. I think they finally get over the hump here, giving the Nittany Lions to win 27-24 over the Buckeyes and Columbus, set up a big November 11th matchup against Michigan. Good stuff, Dylan. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Dylan, you too. Dylan Callahan Crowley from uh, Happy Valley Insider. That's not bad. You know, the, the total here is 46.5, though, and uh, I'd like to take this game under the total, but I'm afraid there's going to be a defensive touchdown from one of these defenses. 
So that's my thinking now. I'll try to come up with more of a firm answer to the uh, over-under situation. There's not a chance I'm going to bet the side in this game. As an Ohio State fan, I'm pretty concerned about this game, pretty concerned about the Ohio State offensive line against the defensive front, especially the defensive front four uh, for Penn State. So much more on this game on Friday during the uh, you know, the. Uh, you know, this, the, when we have the spread and all that, and uh, that'll be during the extra point. All right, next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060. Also, kind of a quick local roundup. That'll include plenty of the Diamondbacks and Phillies game. Game two, analysis, and kind of combine some game one and game two stuff together. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Hour with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. Local roundup time, also phone call time, 602-260-1060. Get to your phone calls in just a couple of seconds. First up, we're going to go the short version here. We'll have more time during the extra point to get more into the Diamondbacks. Uh, uh, embarrassment, I think is a good word. The last two nights in Philadelphia, uh, they've been completely outmatched, quite frankly, by the Phillies. Um, you know, I think vastly overlooked in the uh, Phillies' offensive performance has been the Diamondbacks' offensive inefficiency. They had four hits in both games. They scored three runs on Monday night, no runs yesterday. Two of the three runs that they've scored, the first two games of the series, came on one swing. Two games, <clears throat> excuse me, 65 plate appearances for the Diamondbacks offense. They've scored a grand total of three runs on four hits, one walk. They've had 23 strikeouts. Uh, they've had a total in two games of four at-bats with runners in scoring position. They have zero hits in those situations. Also, I think the, uh, the the Diamondbacks look just overmatched, especially on the mound. Uh, the Phillies have a staff filled with high-velocity, power-type pitchers. The Diamondbacks staff is filled with finesse pitchers. Power pitchers get away with mistakes. Finesse pitchers almost have no margin for error. All right, we'll have much more on the Diamondbacks and the Phillies during the extra point. On the phone lines, Matt and Phoenix. Hi, Matt. Hey, Bob. How are you? Hanging in there. How are you? Good, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, embarrassment, I think, is the right word. Um, I wondered throughout these first two games if the Dimebacks watched any scouting reports on the Phillies hitters with first pitch fastballs, the guy who, guys who hammer first pitch fastballs. So, um, yeah, this has been non competitive. And truthfully, as a baseball fan, the entire playoffs have been uh, bad, less bad. dramatic. They've been. They've been really bad. Um, yeah. Yeah, we haven't had any, we haven't had a deciding game in either of the first two. We were on two rounds, and it kind of looks like we're headed that way again, unless the Astros, you know, they're playing on the road, so that's a good thing, right. I guess, for the Astros. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the Astros and the Phil, and the Astros and the Rangers are our best hope for a good series in uh, this particular round of the postseason, and. Uh, Usually this is my favorite month of the year uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, baseball playoffs is the biggest reason, and it's been just kind of uh, very disappointing to this point. Yeah, I kind of wonder at this point if the only thing that can slow down the momentum of these two teams is the fact that they 
uh, get these series done in a timely manner, and then they have six or seven days off. And, and then I, I'm intrigued to see how they come back, considering how teams off the break in the in the wild card round have played. Um, you know, over the last two years, I don't think I don't think a break suits either of these teams very well. Yeah, that might be true. I'm not going to look at. I'm not looking ahead yet. Well, and I would okay. be really surprised if the Diamondbacks come back and really mount yeah. much of a challenge against the Phillies. But I think the Astros have a chance, and they, they've been very competitive in these games. And they're they're six for eighteen with runners in scoring position in their first two games against the Rangers. Especially considering we don't know what we're going to get from Scherzer, and I've got to think it's likely not very good. So. Um, Certainly a, a must-win, if you will, for uh, Houston today. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Penn State, Ohio State. Unfortunately, uh, work got in the way of hearing the last segment. Um, you can give me the gallery if you need to for that. Um, I have I bet a really early number under the total. Um, Penn State is not explosive on offense. Uh, they do nothing down the field. They've actually struggled this year to run the ball um and the one really good uh, side of ohio state is that defense um considering the injuries on offense i don't know if they're uh questionable legitimately to play with abuka and the running backs um is this a 2017 type game hopefully uh i like the total under myself my biggest concern uh, betting the under in this game is the fact that I think there is a possibility that each defense could score. Okay, <laughs> so, I understand that. Uh, I think that each front seven has an advantage in different ways, though. I think it's just a physical thing for Ohio State. They haven't been able to run the ball against anybody that's any good. Yep. Uh, they've really only faced one rushing defense that is any good. Uh, but the only time that they've run the ball, well, I guess it's Purdue last week too. They run the ball successfully against two teams. Purdue's really bad. And Western Kentucky has one of the smallest defensive fronts I've ever seen. I'm not exaggerating in college football. Wow. And that's the one team they just ran right out, ran right at them, and they had no chance to stop them. Uh, as yeah. far as the other side goes, you know, Penn State, as far as, uh, you know, the, the fact that they, they, they you know, the lack of explosive plays is mind-boggling. That is something we discussed a little bit in the last segment. They yep. have uh, you know, four out of five starting offensive linemen back. They've got two stud running backs, and they have zero runs this season longer than 20 yards. Not a one. Wow. None. Wow. Zero. Yeah, and this is, uh, with all due respect to <laughs> Northwestern and Illinois, this is Drew Allard's first real road yeah. test. And, and sometimes, or I should say a lot of the times, for young quarterbacks, that doesn't go very well. So I agree with you. The concern, if you do play the under, is defense is scoring. But I don't see offenses having much success in this game. I am looking forward to it. Uh, I don't trust Franklin in a big spot. Um, if I had to play the game from a side perspective, it would absolutely be Ohio State. But uh, I'm much more uh, confident in, in under the total in this one. It's true. And then you have the injury situation. Now, the good news yep. is, and I assume this will continue, Ohio State, 90 minutes before the game, announces who's not playing that day. So okay. we'll find out like whether Kyle Henderson – there there you go. Uh, you know, by the way, uh, you know, we, we may have a you – know, the quarterback might return this week for Utah, but who knows. Really? Uh, Hender, Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Trainum all – didn't finish the game last week. Henderson and Williams yep. didn't. That's their first three running backs. Abuka 
kind of sounded like yesterday that he was pretty questionable for this game listening to Ryan Day. He didn't really say much, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of positive signs. I'm not sure if he actually practiced yesterday because the Ryan Day press conference was before practice yesterday. And also the fact that Denzel Burke got hurt last week for Ohio State, and he's having a tremendous season so far as a corner. So uh, those are good. Those are definite negatives. They need those dudes to be playing and be able to do something in this game against Penn State. Kind of surprised you said that about Rising. I heard some reports that he was maybe planning on sitting out the year, so I'll be interested to see that. I appreciate it. Who knows? Talk to you tomorrow, Bob. Yeah, who knows? I mean, uh, Cam Rising, they said at media day, he'd be back by, you know, he might be back by opening day. That was like two months ago. Uh, so this is the most deceptive, deceitful, lying coach that we've had, in my opinion. Sorry, but I don't know how any other way to put this. It's just been a fiasco from week to week. Uh, it, it's, you know, I never thought anybody approached Lou Holtz status, who just completely lied about injuries all the time. Uh, but uh, you know, Whittingham is getting close. I mean, this is really bad if you're trying to handicap a football game. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. All right, rapid fire today. Yesterday we had lots of time in this segment, but that's not that was yesterday. Welcome back, final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. The Astros have been better on the road, a lot better on the road than at home this season. Then they're going to need a good road performance, or like three of them in the next three days to get back to Houston. Uh, today it's uh, Christian Javier against Max Scherzer, the scheduled starting pitchers. Texas and Scherzer, who has not pitched since September the 9th, is a 130 favorite in this game against uh, Javier and the Astros. And I'm on the Astros in this game today at that price. And uh, actually, I blew a better price earlier when I should have been paying more attention yesterday. But I wasn't, so my bad. I deserve to not get the better price. Also, tomorrow, uh, the Diamondbacks game three against the Phillies. And uh, that's going to be uh, Framber Valdez against uh, Brandon Fott. And Fott and the Diamondbacks, an underdog, as you would expect at this point. Uh, Valdez in the uh, uh, the uh, Framber, uh, excuse me, Framber, uh, you know, Ranger Suarez, I'll get this right. I got Framber Valdez in the brain because I don't, you know, if he has to pitch for Houston, then I'm going to be going on Texas side. If he, has to, if he has to pitch another game in this series, I'll be on the Rangers side for sure. But anyway... Uh, Ranger Suarez and the uh, Phillies are a 130 favorite against the Diamondbacks and Brandon Fott tomorrow. Total in that game sitting at nine. Couple of quick things here. Um, an update. I meant to get this in yesterday, but I you know, didn't do it, and I had plenty of time, so it's my bad on this. Uh, Bills running back Damian Harris. I think we all saw the Sunday night game. If you watch the Sunday night game, he left via ambulance because of the neck injury. He's going to be fine. He actually left the hospital on Monday. So that's the best possible news for him, it would seem. Also uh, confirmed this morning uh, that Anthony Richardson of the Colts will have season-ending shoulder surgery. So much for him getting that much-needed experience this season. Remember, he only had 15 college starts in his career, 
at the University of Florida. This year, kind of a waste. Uh, at least he got to see some defenses, I guess. Uh, but he left three games with injury uh, this year, and now he's out for the season. Justin Fields doubtful for Week Seven against the uh, against the Raiders, according to Bears head coach Matt Iberflus. Um, did not give a timetable for a return for him. Looks like uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to go tomorrow night. He did practice yesterday, uh, and that's the last and really the only semi-full practice. And depending on what team you have or what team you're talking about, some teams do kind of kind of have a, sort of have a full practice on Tuesday before a Thursday night game. Some don't do anything. Uh, so we'll actually have more on the Jags with Mark Long from the Associated Press previewing that game tomorrow in this hour in the uh, 9-15 segment. And Jimmy Garoppolo has avoided a serious back injury, according to Josh McDaniels, uh, but uh, also the head coach in this case did not offer a timetable for Garoppolo's return. And considering it's a back injury, I'm not really blaming him for that because back injuries, especially in this case, even more than most, it seems, are pretty tricky. This was somewhat scary, I guess, also. All right, next two hours, it'll be the Extra Point. Hosted by Kayla, that include more phone call time. Definitely much more on the Diamondbacks. I've got a few things I want to point out about the really the first couple of games and then yes, last night's game specifically. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll have more phone call time also in the Extra Point, 602-260-1060. So stay tuned. We hope to hear from you.